there is nothing the meaning of the phrase form is emptiness. And all things are provided for by nothingness. It's the meaning of the phrase emptiness is form. We should not think that these are two separate things. Listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our sponsor for today's episode is Scream and Drive Distro and Absurd Exposition Label. And here we are today, breaking one of our own rules. That's right. I think we even talked about that in the listener questions episode. That it's good to break your own rules, and we're doing it right here, right now, covering an album from. 2002. I definitely think it's going to be okay as we are discussing I've Become the Disease That Made Me by Sickness. Like Gray said, we are breaking our pre-2000 rule here with I've Become the Disease That Made Me. Someone like Sickness is incredibly important to the history of noise and of course was doing stuff before 2000. No, 86, 87, somewhere around there. And into the 90s mm-hmm. was some of his first official releases. Yep. And this was just the one that was available widely. And we thought it's just, it's got to be the one we talk about. And also we thought it would be cool to talk to Eric Hoffman, who released the CD on Ground Fault, and get some of his thoughts behind the CD. So he was... Cool enough to answer some questions and send his thoughts along about I become the disease that made me. And not only are we breaking our own rules, Chris himself let us know that he's breaking a rule of his own because he said he's generally not interested in interviews or podcasts going over old stuff, but that he did think, well, maybe it is the time to set the record straight and get into the history of this album. So we thank Chris for being a part of this episode with us. And we're excited to dissect. I've become the disease that made me with both Chris Goudreau and Eric Hoffman. It's important to note that this album is going to be available on the Sickness Bandcamp, sickness.bandcamp.com. As this is one of the Grand Fault CDs that is out of print. So you know what we say on Noise Extra. Go support artists directly and pick up this immense noise document. And of course, Friday, the Friday after this episode comes out, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, is... Bandcamp no fee day. So you know that's even more reason to support artists directly and pick up a copy of I've Become the Disease That Made Me. But before we get into that, Gray, what have you been listening to? I got a package from Cloyster in the mail here, and in it was the Jeff German Arcane Facture CD on White Centipede Noise out of Germany, uh, who... Also released that great Kyostad Red Iron Knife disc last year around the same time I did 
extinctionist, uh, different sides of the Kyosted are still there. But this Jeff German disc, wow, uh, you know, previously operated under the name Hands 2, this one is uh, piles of sound, broken glass, crude, crude sounds. And uh, I really, really dig it. Really just a nice evolving listen uh you know hey it's o- hey it's almost like we should do a hands to seven inch that's a great idea uh for seven inch sunday oh, that's a good idea i think maybe we'll oh, do that wow Sold. wow it's an idea i just had i guess you're convincing also got another package in the mail with Joe Colley chapel action tape on dead mind comes in a wooden box all tied up actually tied up like I believe proprietary acoustics in a similar paper with uh, Joe's a stamp and a signature and a date and a thumbprint this is kind of a longer ish tape of weird crude electronics and layers of like half spoken text there's an accompanying booklet with some photographs and a a big block of text in it as well Uh, and it's in a box screen printed with a uh, floor plan of a chapel. You know, sometimes you want to listen to some Joe Colley. And if you're me, that's uh, damn near all the time. So this <laughs> one Heck uh, yeah. showed up today and went in my ears today. <laughs> I also listened to uh, Proper Gall, the collection of uh, Undeshainment, Deviolence, and Clean Shaven, because I had watched Lodge Kerrigan's Clean shaven again and so uh was in a mood to listen to the sort of album dedicated to it that proper Girl made years ago and uh just a really nicely done power electronics ish uh i think these two releases are some of his finest stuff that he has put out and were very exciting back when they came out and are still exciting to listen to uh, there's like a collection of both of them available via tesco what about you guys well- well, as we do over here, a lot of times we get ourselves in a zone and we just have been in a sickness zone yep. leading up to this recording. The, it's been a fun zone. The sought for slaying LP on Hospital Well, originally a limited edition CDR, but put out by hospital in the mid 2000s ish and man uh I, I one thing we really like about that one is the how the samples sound like they're being recorded off a tv in a room like they don't sound like they're direct in samples it mm-hmm. sounds like someone sitting in a room watching tv so there's news reports true crime stuff mm-hmm. and i that's how it opens and i love the atmosphere it sets from the beginning and it's 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 always been a favorite and it it uh was a was a real standout this week as well. And before we get into the sickness record, a quick word from our sponsor, Scream and Writhe Distro and Absurd Exposition Label, a Canadian-based source for experimental electronics, harsh noise, power electronics, and more. Over a thousand titles in stock on all formats, offering media mail shipping to the USA and affordable international shipping. Forthcoming releases from Astro, Chick White, Hermit, R Wrongs, Scald Him, and Slit Throats. Visit ScreamAndRide.com and use code NOISEXTRA to get 10% off during the month of February. Limit one use per customer. And with that, I have become the disease that made me. By going over this album, hopefully there'll be some inspiration for, for people, new directions to go, and that apply, will apply to the future rather than just looking back at the past and doing a lot of remember when. 
I wonder if talking about it has the same impact as it did 20 years ago. I think it had an impact, but uh, uh, now you can record an album at 96 kilohertz, 24 bit, or even more. Uh, you could multi-track in a DAW without a problem. You have super high-end sound cards that are priced within reach. And 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. So what may have happened on that album or, or happens in the music there that I was trying to push might be commonplace now, might be simple and easy, and people might really miss the point. But let's get into it and see what we can dig up and find on I Have Become a Disease That Made Me. Hitting play on this disc, well, from the first second, <laughs> you are in for an hour of detailed, intricate noise. So stand at attention because your attention is required. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you say that it is detailed noise because immediately it's just like... A sample hits and then it gets harsh and then you notice there's panning. It's like all the elements just kind of drop in and you're like, oh, I get it. Like this is going to like um, entertain me. It's going to be complicated. It's going to move. It's going to show the palette. It's wild. It's noise. It is a fairly wild release, which is funny because it's also very controlled, edited, cut up, but it, it's a, a lot of live recorded noise then put into segments and sections and arranged. So it does still have that sort of freewheeling and a wild and live feel to it. Uh, visible from the feedback and, and kind of chaotic nature of the noise, but also there's so much forward momentum in it. Everything feels like it's propelling you forward, especially on this track. And you brought up the samples on Sod for Slang, but... The samples on this record are also, they have this really nauseating fidelity to them. A lot of yeah. them are just mm -hmm. like, they're, they're decimated and there's some nasty filtering going on. So you're having to fight to listen to what it is, but it's got that sort of nasally, nasty kind of vibe to a lot of them that makes it uh, at times hard to hard to even listen to to want to figure out what it's saying where it's it's uncomfortable it actually some of the samples make me uncomfortable not just in subject matter but the presentation yeah it's not it's not a, a recognizable filter that's being used it's it's a completely unique methodology especially to these two luddites over here <laughs> these two equipment luddites over here oh. and and i think too something that he does with his samples is that they're obscured in multiple ways, even down to the sample itself. There's times where it seems that it's not a complete, and there and, and it isn't a lot of times. It'll be a loop or it'll be cut up itself where trying to get a hold on it, it's like holding sand in your hand, I think. That is something Terrace compared something to recently. <laughs> but I like that. Because cause just, you're it's true. Because you're trying to get at it and once you maybe think you got it, something else is happening. Yeah. And have we discussed the theme of this album, the the disease? The track title on number one is Kuranke or I you know what? It's it's Japanese apologies. Um and Tamashi. Uh and that means disease persons. Uh, and and soul or spirit, and disease would play a huge prominent role in Chris's work. Absolutely, you know, disease has always been 
a focus of my work. The first release I did on, or the first full length I did under on Ninth Circle was called No One Cries for the Death of a Disease. It goes back to spending a lot of time in the hospital as a child and into my teens. I got to see how people react and are affected by those who are sick, by hospitals, the medical industry, it's, it's treatment of people, etc. cetera. Uh, can so easily devastate a life or save it, but it's never without its additional consequences. One thing I will talk about is that I had a doctor tell me uh, when I was 13 or 14 uh, that my first heart valve would need to be replaced when I was about 30. And he told me it would, would be a choice I would have to make then if I continued to have the heart issues I was encountering. Though, like most doctors, he couldn't tell me what was wrong or what would happen or could happen uh, before or after then. I got to look at a lifetime of crippling debt over open heart surgery to replace a valve that may or may not cause problems or just leave it alone. And I chose to leave it alone. And it hasn't truly been an issue for 20 years after I needed the valve replaced. Instead, I've decided to go into a different form of debt. Thank you, Modular Sense. So disease uh, has come in and, and, and been part of my history. And I like to delve into not just the physical aspects of disease, but mental aspects, people's small fractures and cracks in our personalities and how we present ourselves, I think are, are diseases, whether you uh, look at them that way or not. One of the things that this track really does well and that I didn't hear in a lot of the other pieces, but is definitely noticeable. And this is this sort of reversal and reappearance of sounds where something will, will cut out and then maybe you'll hear it reversed in the stereo field and it'll kind of fade back in or come back in. It's also, there's a lot of what I would say are really crude sounding things, especially in this first piece, but they, they're sort of crude mono blasts that then get thickened up with like some stereo effect or processing and then take up the whole space. So they start out feeling, they don't actually feel thin. They're still heavy and, and loud, but they're coming at you in mono and then they, they kind of diversify and become uh, spread, spread across the stereo field and then cuts into a loop of some sort, you know, to disorient you. And I like that. I like the sort of jump from mono to stereo, the way it's used here all throughout the whole record is one of those uh, things that sickness has in his bag and isn't afraid to pull out. And it, it's very effective. It's mm -hmm. incredibly effective. And when we get to the second track, the title track, I mean, we're just right into the medical drain. The focus on every sound and every space is filled. And the title of this track, not only is it the title track, but it has quotes around the title where no other track has mm -hmm. quotes. And we did ask Chris, who is that quote attributed to? It is a quote from the original writing I did for the release. It's, it was never included as I didn't put my writings in uh, releases at that time, though I have compiled a book of them that will hopefully see the light of day this year. The initial writing and theme for this release was dealing with the, the will to forget. That's the title of the EP Eric got and uh, where I was going in the beginning. Um, and that was dealing with the 
ability to disassociate from our memories. But as the idea of the album kind of formed and uh, I have become the disease kind of solidified and evolved, it moved me toward that different focus. Uh, life also happened to throw some curveballs into my path, which also changed my view on what I wanted to focus on and, and what I wanted to deal with in this recording. As I wrote more and more about the release and the ideas behind it, I think the line that best represented what I was trying to get at with all the sounds was the title track. I don't have the journal anymore. At least I don't think I do, but I think it was something along the lines of you just continue doing what you're doing until something like this comes along. You become the disease that made you. And it's all the focus you have after that. This one has a really cool ending too. that cold pullback. Yeah. Which, which happens throughout this album, but here's, the first instance where we get that cold, sterile space mm-hmm. at the end of the track. Yeah, I think that this this album definitely proves that Chris is really, really good at transitions, like transitioning yeah. samples, transitioning tracks, um, transitioning different sounds, different pieces of equipment. Like truly, um, they are done so well, so effectively, so seamlessly. So precise. Absolutely. With surgical precision. This one's got these like, differing blasts of feedback cutting through it and really the like a loose, fast and loose play with modulation. And on this track, you know, I, I'll sit here and, and be the guy that tries to dissect what's going on with this stuff. And I, I gave up on this record. No joke. No, uh, don't do it. It's hard. <laughs> we love when you try. <laughs> it's hard to tell where the cuts are on any of this material. Mm-hmm. It's certainly there are seams, but the nature of it and the way it's all stitched together just works well as one cohesive whole where I'm not, I mean, that's true of a lot of sickness. I'm not trying to figure out where the cuts are. Sometimes when there's a sort of jarring, short, recurring loops, it feels a little more obvious when that cuts, you know, cuts in and cuts out. But on this piece, there's there's really no heads or tails of like what the hell is going on because it could as easily be tur- the turning on and off of some piece of gear or uh, switching t- chains as it is uh, hard cut in the edit. We asked Chris about the relationship between the equipment and the human behind the equipment. Equipment and person to me are, are one, like the Borg. It's the simplest, nerdiest answer I can give. But always you control the equipment. You can be helped by equipment. Uh, equipment can make it easier to do things that beyond what you can touch with your two hands because you are limited by the two hands and 10 fingers. The person needs to be at least 51% of the drive and focus. You want a harmony, but the person needs to be in control. I think generative music is fun, but you lose so much when the equipment is at the forefront of what's happening. It's it's especially important for me. There's a link between my equipment and myself, but the equipment is just a tool. And I set up a system that allows me to use that tool. The person is channeled in quotes through the system into the equipment. If you lose the human element in the music, 
it isn't created. It's just a series of events that you happen to document. People love to ask me what the secret is to what I do and how I do it. What equipment do I use? Would this piece of equipment make me sound better? Would this fit into my setup? Despite it all being very subjective as to what is better, it really depends on how you want to use it. The way you use a Sherman filter bank may be different from the way I use it or get my sound. The equipment has to be right for you. And despite how often people bust my balls about, is this the Sherman on this track? And I'm looking at you, Gray. It doesn't mean that the equipment will work the right way in your setup, sound, et cetera, for what you want. The equipment's just a tool. That's it. The, the thing that makes it sound or art or music is the person. And uh, that's the person is who controls who. And at least that's the way I think it. Oh, I'm glad Chris remembers a question I asked him about a track like 18 years ago. <laughs> still. <laughs> yeah, but it's still spot on. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I did buy one of those damn things eventually, as anyone who listens to Trashware has heard me go on and on about. So I'm so you know. glad you did. It's great. <laughs> now we can experience one. Well, you know, especially in the early 2000s, Chris and I were in contact and I was a very big fan. I, I'd heard Another Lamb for the Slaughter on Solipsism. Uh, a friend of mine had that and played it for me and ultimately traded it to me, actually. It, that's one of my favorite sickness pieces, especially at the time and sort of in the noise community in the early 2000s. There were not a lot of people doing what sickness was doing. There was not this precise cut up harsh noise like this and i think that's one of those things that is easy to forget in hindsight this this was not the the common thing or the the trend or the fashion or what a lot of people were doing there were sounds here and processing here that i had not heard before if i did it was on it's on some relapse cd it was mm-hmm. not on self-abuse cdr you could get or like a groundfall cd you could just order it didn't seem accessible but then being able to talk to chris and him being the one that made these sounds i had someone to ask i couldn't ask mertz how he made his <laughs> sounds i could ask chris <laughs> And right. so yeah. uh, I did. And he remembers. He's probably like, oh, oh, great. Lucky me. <laughs> but yeah, Ring Around a Rosie, the sample that starts this, I mean, just great, disturbing Ugh. sample and then just massive noise loop. And I love the the noise loop on this one. It actually, it actually stays around for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But there's all these details in the massive noise. But the bed stays for longer than a lot of things stay on this record. And it is, again, coming now on the third track, it's kind of a nice... Yeah, and the bed of, is a, stuffed, yeah. though. It's not well, like oh, some little totally flat stuffed. bed. It's like a big old yeah, fluffy yeah. stuffed bed. It's not like a terrible hospital bed. No, no. It's uh, it's it's pretty wild, and when the, when everything falls away, it's just so satisfying. Like it kind of like crumbles when and it like decom- bottoms out, yeah, and decomposes right before you. Yeah, there's oh. there's a lot of this weird like bipolar filter abuse, like the stereo warping of things, mm-hmm. and and then it collapses to mono, which is another thing I talked about earlier, where the use of mono sounds and then the widening or or collapsing to you know collapsing of the stereo field is a great technique and there's a couple different ways of using the stereo field and one is of course stereo effects where it's slightly different 
in each ear, but it's still kind of the same sound. And one is this this you know mono where the stereo channels are identical, and then you've got th- sometimes where there there's they're completely different or the the bulk of them is different and things are completely panned hard left and hard right, but they're coming from the same source. So they're interacting maybe, but you're getting different views of it. And Chris seems to have a, just a wonderful grasp of that on this record where the, the use of stereo is discrete things going on in either ear. Uh, same thing going on in both ears or same thing going on in both ears with uh, processing so they're mutated and different and feel different or s- different things from the same source, like two streams off the same waterfall that have different rock beds in them. So you're getting these different pictures of these sounds in either ear. And it, all of those things and his ability to switch between them seemingly at will really provides a lot of propulsive momentum to this thing. And this is fast noise. You know, we, I've talked about the fast tumbling blaze, but that's more of a static where this is razor sharp noise cut into so many pieces. And the goal is to keep you moving, to keep your attention, to keep you paying yeah. attention. Speed or the illusion of speed is key to what I do. Or did, as that was a big part of my sound back then. I've always intended or always been interested in in detailed sound. And the more details, the better. The more variety of sound, the better. And the more interesting the piece becomes. It was also something that people weren't able to really do live back then. And I like to think I changed that in 2006, thanks to Trogatronic. So a shout out for W.T. Nelson. Uh, Cut Up Work had... This leisurely pace to it, uh, the you know the filter sweeps and the clanging metal were quick, but it was never as fast as I thought it could go. And that is a, that is the goal of of I have become was to push the boundaries of what could be done, what I could do, and and what was meant for the genre, or you know as grand as what could be done in noise. Some people have told me that all um, the micro changes. And tiny cuts that I've been able to do digitally can't even be heard or, uh, you know, just blur together. But I, I think they can be if you listen. The detail and the overall picture they paint is an important focus. I don't think it would be the release it is without all the micro cuts and fractional sounds, all the little EQ tweaks and filters in one channel and not in the other. So speed is almost a side effect of how much sound is crammed into the release. So it wasn't super important to keep everything in constant motion. I think it's a side effect, but I it does it is part of the larger picture of I have become. I realized something by the time we get to the fourth track. Uh I Every single track, I said the same thing. I'm like uh, Richard Christie on the Stern show. I'm like, this is my favorite track. And then I get to the fourth track and I'm like, this track's my favorite. And I, it's, it's insane. Uh, And I thought that to myself on every track on this album, by the way. So I'll just stop saying it. (laughs) Well, this also too, I think for us, this CD came out. This is the first sickness we heard because we, did miss out on some of those earlier limited edition stuff. Had only heard about Sickness. So once the Ground Fault CD 
was came out, it was like, oh, we it's a, we can actually get it. It's a mm-hmm. thing. And when this was the time, 2002, I mean, Tara's discussed it before on other episodes, but this was when we just wanted full on yes. just we wanted the, I want the, the abuse. Most. We wanted, I want the destruction. We this wanted is... the most. And so <sighs> it was it just came at the perfect time for us because it was just like, yes, like this is so beyond full on anything we really heard up to that. It's like point. sonic animosity. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. So That's a good. great way to put it. This one yeah. fever in the skin. It starts with these these hits, but then it goes into this this loop and this stutter. But it, this one feels it while it starts off with some loops and definitely has some of that cut up element into it. This one's like I don't know, it feels more flowing. Like until you get to the end section of it, it's not as it doesn't feel as heavy on loops and feels a little more open than the previous tracks. It has that just dragged into the into the light, into the hospital light, that cold light. And that's so funny. On the next track I wrote that this is static on a TV at a rundown hospital. Wow. Like literally what I wrote was well, like, oh. look, I mean, I think it's I think it's I think going with the disease and hospitals and going with that theme throughout feels right. And it and it does have that feel to it. A fever in the skin and and the next track point of infection. I mean, this is this is a we've all had fevers, we've all had infections. You know, sometimes it's a simple Sometimes it's a simple infection. Sometimes you got a hangnail that gets infected. Sometimes it's a, a kidney infection and it's a really bad thing. The pairing of these is really nice. I think tracks four and five fit. Like we're like, oh man, I'm in this album now. The it progresses through these first five. And so fever in the skin, you come you come out of it feeling a little worried, but by the time you hit point of infection, this is just wet, hot noise, steamy and hollow and moist. Harsh cut-ins, and it just builds. Well, you know, there's something about the absolute mental violence you feel when you are alone in a hospital room or you're waiting in a hospital because in some way you're just helpless before your physical body and you're helpless before doctors and you're helpless before a billing system and you want to blame somebody and it's just this horrible chaos that is occurring in your mind and everything simultaneously. And absolutely you get that feeling on this. Like if I could listen, if I could have listened to this in the hospital, it would have just been so wonderful and cathartic. Um, This is truly like if, if you're annoyed, pissed off, confused, if you're feeling something that you're maybe not reconciled with, this is the noise for you. I would agree with that. And this has something that we haven't really seen too much on the previous tracks either is I can feel this sort of layered ambient stuff happening here, especially Mm -hmm. around the, the, you know, leading up to the three minute mark and this sort of building of the stereo field is going on. The, the fidelity on this, like we talk about razor sharp and it is, there's a lot of really crisp sounds, but it also jumps in fidelity to these hollow sounding empty or overly bassy or thin, high, or like maybe metal bashing and feedback kind of sounds. And 
this track to me had a different sort of feel and sitting kind of right in the middle of the record. It, it's a nice, it's nice to realize how settled into this you are. And with all these fast cuts and nastiness, it's, it can almost be fatiguing. There's so much density going on. There's so much information you're being fed via the noise. And, you know, I was really curious to hear if Chris ever feels like a track is complete. Is a track ever completely done? The track is, is, is never done. Not fully, but it eventually really has to be. You can always go back and make changes, re-edit, look at it in new ways or pick it apart based on, you know, new equipment or musical or evolving sound tastes, um, who you are at this moment as a person, uh, what you're going through as compared to when the track was recorded. Or a, a track has to be finished to go out into the world. Uh, I could spend hours re-editing, especially now, compared to when I Have Become the Disease was recorded with changes in technology, you know, using a modular synth instead of pedals. But a, a track needs to be left on its own at some point. I Have Become the Disease was edited and re-edited over and over and over again. And we'll get to how that affected the release at the end of this. But in, in looking at your recorded work, you've either succeeded in the point of your piece by creating something people can delve into and move through. Or you didn't. And if you didn't, that could mean that it does need more work and you can chisel away or rework something or maybe it approach it differently. Or maybe that work is a failure and your idea didn't come to fruition. But when you over edit something, you can lose that magic. And that's in big quotes or the motivation, the drive that makes the work what it is in the first place. Some people think my editing removes that magic completely that feeling no matter what I do. I think the process and results speak for themselves. I think it's a toss up and a fine edge that you, you walk when you decide to do editing as opposed to just documentation. So ultimately this is a yes and no answer. I, I can be happy about a track fully satisfied is another question, but I think at that moment I have to be able to let it go. But I will start to hear places I could have done something different or changes that could have been made when I re-listen to something, especially over time with the lessons you've learned and, and the growth you've gone through. I, I try not to go back and re-listen to my work. It can be hard not to focus on what could have been done with something. So yeah, there's always something you can change, but there's only something you can change as long as you've grown as, as an artist or as a person. If you don't grow, then sure, you'll be happy with whatever you do at whatever time. Um, then there's nothing really to compare it to because you're not in a different place. Well, guys, I've only had like two vocabulary words this entire session. So we have some more Japanese and I am thrilled. It's fukikumo. And then parentheses like holding your breath. And fukikumo means blown clouds. Oh, wow. Isn't that nice? What a cool framing for this track, too, because, I mean, it's just a pummeling follow-up to Point of Infection. Don't hold your breath for too long because everything's going to just tighten up, and this is just everything just tightens up here. Yeah, it's one. like stabbing your lungs. I mean, really, really painful. It's a really frantic open, but I find one of the things I like on this track is this really nice mix between 
dry and reverberated sounds and it it glides between textures really well and i i understand the title when listening to this track the 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 subtitle like holding your breath i i feel it i get it the mental image i got was like a high-rise office building but with no windows so it was just like getting abused by you know the seasons and but like all of the machines were running simultaneously uh and it's like printing and printing and printing for nothing oh wow i think this is the first loudest track on this record too is how it felt to me like it kept going but this one there is a slight ramping up because i'm probably going to say this again in a couple tracks but this one felt loud to me maybe it's this one your favorite too Uh, (laughs) i'm gonna go ahead and say i didn't pick a favorite it does flow well between tracks and there's great moments in every piece so it's it is hard for me to pick a favorite whereas on maybe other sickness releases there's one technique or one thing that's showcased in a certain track that is like an easy favorite for me maybe because i hadn't heard it before at that time or because it it imprinted in my brain as a way i think about sickness or way i think about that release but this one I, it just starts to wash over me it's like being in some whitewater rapids bounced well, around from rock to rock it's cool because chris let us know how a sickness album is conceived. And particularly, I've become the disease that made me. I'll start with either the offer of release or collaboration, or I'll get the urge or first grumblings of an idea to make something. And that's how it generally starts, uh, as vague as that is. The idea, no matter how it starts, will continue to evolve after I sit down and do some writing to try and get a better idea of the theme of the piece I want to work on, what's going on in my head and what's unconsciously or what comes out on paper, what, how, like how that affects the output. I think writing pulls or dredges the idea out of wherever my brain stores those creative urges. The writing eventually solidifies the form and direction I want to take, but it's, it's never set in stone. Change is always a possibility and really needs to be a part of the equation. Or else you start hammering, you know, square pegs and round holes and ideas that, that don't really fit into your work. You begin to use old tropes and, and murkily obscured ideas and, and myth that are better left to the people who originally did them. Because I find that you probably pull from what you've been listening to and uh, those themes have, have already been done. So you're, you're just really going over them. Like, for example, I have become the disease was originally called the will to forget. And the will to forget is now an, an unreleased EP that's somewhere on a hard drive in my collection. But the ideas behind the album chained. And after discussion with some friends, uh, reflection, uh, writing and the evolution of the tracks, I, I changed the title. Ultimately, it's an ever evolving process that goes on for as long as the album is recorded. We come up to bloodletting. Blood Hunger remix. And this track is really cool because it is a remix of the track that inspired Eric to ask Chris for an album. I guess I first heard him on a compilation, um, Reconstruct the Chaos Number Two, I believe is what it's called. It was put out early in 2000 maybe actually in 2000 there was something about the sickness track that really stood out to me 
I think it was the fidelity of the track, maybe the the rapid cuts. I don't know. There was something about it that really stood out. When I looked into more sickness material, I could tell he was putting a lot of effort into the quality of what he was recording. It was extremely harsh and extremely loud, and it definitely rivaled some of the best in the Japanese scene at the time. So that piqued my interest, and um, I realized I wanted to work with him. As for Eric, uh, I didn't meet Eric Hoffman until he came out to get the master CD from me. We had talked in, I think he had called me or we corresponded over emails when he made the offer. Um, Eric heard a track from a compilation he got when he was running the Groundfall distro uh, called Reconstruct the Chaos Number 2. Uh, he told me he really enjoyed the use of silence on the track and it reminded him of Runzelstern and Gurgelstock. Uh, he said, I think he said he pulled off the road to look up in the little booklet that came with the CD who it was and he was surprised it was an American artist. I was a little surprised that I had left silence in a track because I wasn't using it in my work at that point. I went back and listened to the track on that uh, compilation and I, I did forget to cut out some pauses uh, unedited work just kind of left there raw and hanging and it, it still worked, but I was personally disappointed in my editing skills. I told Eric after I reviewed the track that it wasn't really my style to leave space like that, but I would send him a demo of uh, some tracks that I've been working on and see if he still wanted to do the release. He still has the will to forget two track demo. I sent him. I don't think those tracks even ended up on I Have Become. He said he enjoyed the work and wanted me to do the release, and I started working on it immediately and probably way too often for my own good. I think I averaged anywhere between two to six hours a day for well over a year uh, working on that release. Um, Eric eventually flew out to the East Coast at one point uh, to get the CD, and I'm sure to, sure is to take some time off as well, but... uh uh, we spent some time hanging out together. Uh, I remember getting a beer with him at the Hamden TGI Fridays because it was one of the only bars that was open. Uh, he went with me to my job that I had for over 15 years. Uh, it was my first couple weeks at that job. Uh, just gotten from uh, after returning from the West Coast. Uh we did. We went to Yukon uh, to do a radio show where he talked about the Ground Fault series and played some tracks from other artists and debuted the uh, Sickness tracks um, that day and said he was there to pick up the demo. I was, it was awesome meeting him and sharing ideas about noise and getting to know the person who was going to release my work. Um, he left with a demo, but I think I told him I still wanted to do some work on them. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this in the beginning, how you need to, is a track truly done? I think I spent two more months editing that CD and Eric called me on the phone and said, Chris, you, you gotta, you gotta let it go, man. You gotta give it up. Uh, and I did eventually, I think he came to visit me in September and at the end of October, I sent him the master finally. 
Um, and I was just really happy to get it done and, and get it out to him. And I still have the letter he sent me with this, I got back from work. I remember coming in and getting this box of my first CD. And I still have that letter he sent me congratulating me, uh, on a great release, even after he had me turn down the volume. So I would be less loud than government alpha. I tell you, I went out to personally pick up the master. This was in 2001, September, I believe when I went out to the East coast and did my tour of visiting people. And, uh, I went to Chris's house and he played me a couple samples of what he was working on and I thought it was absolutely awesome and he said oh I just need to make a couple edits on this and I'll get it to you that was in September and then probably late October I told him stop messing with it it's time to cough it up it sounds good at some point you need to stop and eventually he uh, sent it to me I think he would have tinkered with it for years if I would have let him when I did finally receive the final master, obviously I was extremely impressed. The level of detail and time that was spent reworking that master is very evident. If you listen closely, especially if you listen with headphones, you can hear tons of details. It's definitely uh, one of his better works, I think. And I'm very proud to have released it. I believe Eric told me it was going to be a run of 500 CDs, you know, the pro pressed, which was a big deal for me at, at the time. And, uh, because it was rare that people wanted to drop 500 to a thousand dollars on a noise release. And this was my first real CD, which meant a lot to me. It was simple enough for me to press a CDR on a CD burner and, and make 50 copies. And I worked at a print shop, so I could easily get that out. But uh, a real CD meant investment that somebody saw that there was something to the work to, you know, get it out there. Um, I think a real CD even back then was a, was a big deal. Um, and that galvanized my motivation. I had made up my mind that if I was given the opportunity to put out this, that I do the highest quality noise release I could. I wanted to make sure that I got every detail of what was I was doing, even if it was a noise recording. I wanted to set a new and higher standard for what could be done, if that makes sense. Um, since it's so subjective, especially in noise, I didn't want noise in my Definition of it to be just blown out frequencies, random fart noises, rumble for days or anything you happen to drop the tape at any recording time for that day, that afternoon, that morning. I saw and still see a lot of people putting out anything they do because it meets their standard of good enough. There's no review, nothing to hold it up against, no comparison, no thought of what could be as long as it didn't sound like music. It's generally good enough. There were a lot of noise artists who were releasing material in early 2000 that had a, these kind of statements on them. It's re recorded live in one take or no overdom or multi-tracking uh, like it was a badge of honor 
uh, to just record as is became a trend of like no studio tricks, whatever that means. I thought it was bullshit. You could make noise to be anything, which is a huge freedom, but ultimately a short term goal for people who I think are just generally starting out. You hopefully move on from there. But there there was a lot of it, you know, minus the big name artists like Marisbau or, um, uh, you know, people who sat in a studio and did work. Um, but a lot of the work that was coming out was just raw, blunt, and too simple for my tastes. I get the appeal, but I, I wanted to showcase that sound noise could be made into something more with work, effort, crafting, and editing. Additionally, I thought that a studio album could be different because you could take it beyond the documentation level. It wasn't just a live set you recorded in your bedroom. I didn't think that two being different was a bad idea. Maybe there could be some disappointment when you saw the artist live and they couldn't do all the loop-de-loops or quick cuts or super panning you had heard on the recording, but I was okay with that. I I wanted to move the bar for the genre. Maybe that was too ambitious of a goal, but to my view, I did it. It was in 2001, maybe, I reached out to Chris and... um just asked him, told him that I had heard some of his material and that I really liked it and uh, was uh, wondering if he'd be interested in doing a CD for me. Uh, Of course, he jumped on it and uh, much later we ended up with uh, what you have in your hands listening to now. You know, Terry, you mentioned the, the TV in an earlier track. Well, to me, Confessions of a Parasite has that TV scramble signals coming in mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. That's I went with that one, and then that did I that did remind me of our listenings to Saw It for Slang. Yeah, this that track Confessions of a Parasite um, just really made me think about how cathartic noise can be. Like truly, you know, you're annoyed, you're having a tired day, like whatever, and then sometimes it just it hits perfectly and um, you know, and you're just like, yeah, noise. And absolutely this track hits like that. The stereo madness is wild. I fully yeah. agree with that. It's the sample to open it. And then this is just blasted, blasted noise. And it's, you know, contrasting loops and cuts and stutters. And here we are again, the loudest track, the most, this is the most pushed noise. I feel Mm -hmm. the force of this noise on this track. This is noise hurtling at you out of a drain pipe. This is full stereo smackdown, you know, just like mono to stereo. And one of the things this does that I think is really cool is these sort of leapfrog loops where it's looping, but then it kind of cuts back on itself. So it feels like it, it skipped part of a revolution of the loop and it's really disorienting. And again, it's, the way that sickness approaches sound that allows that to happen where almost anyone else I feel like would let that loop ride here. It's, it's folded back on itself shortly, just a bit to, to Mm -hmm. make it even more uncomfortable. Yeah. Like all the sounds are like, how did you just, how did you just toss that one away? And Chris let us know about his use of loops in his work. There was influence of the bands like, Non, TG, Nurse with Wound, and Current 93, all of whom used tape loops in their work. 
There's also a large power electronics influence. Sickness was always something that seemed to walk the line between is it noise or is it power electronics because of the use of loops. I don't know if I destroyed loops, but I think I like to change them and add detail because detail was obviously very important to my work. So adding filtering or panning or EQ and adjustment to make those changes added something different to draw the listener in. The hyperactive loops didn't come until later. That's where I really destroy loops. The ability to work digitally allowed me to cut them into tinier sections. Also the evolution of sound. And as we talked about previously, the speed or the illusion of speed that cut up noise has really lent itself to making those micro cuts, making micro loops and changing them as quickly as possible. That really interested me and of course is part of my sound now. I actually was never a real fan of of loops and noise. I remember talking to uh, Jorge Castro from Cornucopia about people using loops in their work and we were kind of angry that, you know, too much like dance music or too much like actual music to be really considered noise. But Katsumoto Endo changed my perception of how they could be used in fast-paced noise work even before uh, the While You Were Out album. Uh, Marisbell's Batsutai work was as amazing tape loops, and I, I barely knew about music on credit at that time. But for me, loops were more for slow, evolving music. I mean, that's why I started Ome. Uh, Endo's work on the seminal Why You Were Out and and his other releases showcased how loops could be used in a in quicker work. And I, again, I uh, because this album was about pushing all the boundaries, I wanted to push that idea further and uh, see where I could go with it. So I used loops quickly and the occasional slow evolution in I Have Become. My idea was to hook the listener into the loop and be able to move them in a completely different direction after like after that, like a 90 degree turn. Example, like you're listening to noise, the loop comes in and immediately hooks the listener. So you get da 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 And then uh, the brain thinks, oh, repetition. And they are suddenly hooked in and paying attention. If the listener was drawn in, I can then push them to hear something new or make a change that may pull them into the music further or allow them further along the path that I, I wanted them to go on move on before the loop could establish a real pattern or a groove. If there was to be a pivot point, loops were great and they were a great tool for pushing the user through the piece, which is the goal of, of most of my work. I don't want them sitting there zoning out to a sickness track. I want the listener involved, present and actively paying attention to what is going on. This was not background music to put on and just experience. It demanded, it was supposed to demand your attention and that was the goal. You also could Pulling the idea of, that I, I enjoyed glitch, um, digital error and playback. You know, there's there's a whole history of, of music I enjoy that that does use loops. Um, and as Ome evolved and Sickness kind of merged into this entity that is work under my own name, I guess I came to realize that rhythm in all its forms, short and long, can push and move a, a listener. So... Back then, it was more to pivot and move a listener along. And I guess as I got older, the idea evolved into uh, something new. Confessions of a Parasite too, though, while I like when you said it's the most pushed noise, around the five minute and 30 mark, mm-hmm. we actually 
get the most open section up to this point so far. Oh, that like cycling, spinning. Oh, it's so good. It's so damn good. And it, it, yes, he lets it ride. And I really so great. I love it. And it feels like it's a, it's not just a loop. It's a loop that's being processed. It evolves. You get a little more each time and you're kind of anxious to feel how it goes and how it goes is for the last minute of this back into just, Chopped to hell. Yes. yes. Yep. I thought of two parasites that would be the ones confessing. I mean, aside from the obvious horrible people, um, parasites. And one is the tongue eating louse. It grows in fish and it uh, it's a copepod or sorry, it's not a copepod. It's a it's a tongue eating louse. And it takes over a fish's tongue and devours the tongue completely until it just is the fish's tongue. And then it lives there. You find them sometimes in seafood departments and it's disturbing. Um, then also wait, 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 green... you find them in seafood departments? Yeah, yeah you can you can like Elaborate. actually you can actually like purchase a fish and then sometimes its tongue will have one of these um, creepy little things on it. It looks kind of like. Uh, I don't know. It's just as horrifying as you think it looks. It's like it looks like a little armored tongue thing. It's it's awful. And it has hooked hands because it you know has to really, really hang on tight to that tongue. And it and it leaches nutrients and blood the entire time it lives there. Then. So that's horrifying. So that's one of the parasites it could be. Uh, another great one is the Greenland shark. It's a really deep sea cold water shark. And they always find them with these copepods in their eyes. And so um, they're like, how do they even see? Because every single specimen we've ever found has this like, it looks like shoelaces hanging out of their eyeballs. And it's just this intense parasite that lives in sharks' eyes and makes them pretty much be sightless uh, because it's leeching off their eyes. So I think either one of those uh, would make these sounds absolutely if they could because they're horrific and awful and I don't want them. Do sharks need sight though? They hunt by scent, right? Yeah, that's how the that's how they manage to survive is because the sharks don't really need their their sight that much. They have other types of detection, but um, these you know it's a very dark area when you're in super deep water. I still don't want anything living in my eyeball. For the patrons, if you want. Uh, Terra Parasite Knowledge bonus episode. Comment on the Patreon. <laughs> I support that 100%. Oh, I haven't even started Cordyceps. <laughs> <laughs> Track nine. We start off with a very familiar voice, that of Mr. Ed Kemper. And couldn't be more appropriate for a, a track entitled Psychopathia. We're in Kemper's mind here. We're in his brain. And the dimensions go in and out of focus on this one. And I really Mm -hmm. like that. And maybe that's the psychopathia taking hold because this is what I also think Chris is masterful at doing on this is not only working with the stereo field, but working with the depth of the, of the sound itself. It feels Mm -hmm. close. It feels far away in the, in the entire field. Yeah, this one feels like switching horses to a point. It, it just k- keeps jumping between feelings. And and jumping is the right term for what this one does. It's got this weirdly nauseating fidelity to it also where I'm I'm again made uncomfortable. It's you know, it's like taking off in an airplane pressure head pressure feeling that it just makes me so uncomfortable. And when Connolly says 
familiar voice from Ed Kemper's, uh, we did the murder series where Deathpile did a dedicated to Edmund Emil Kemper, seven inch on self abuse, highly worth checking out. It's over on our Patreon. Yes, and we were absolutely the denial and the gratification in the last like vocal loop. And you yes. get a hit over each time the words are being said. Yeah. You know, like the so, evidence in his pocket, a woman's breast. The, the, wo- but the it, woman's voice. Yeah, it's so but weird. But you can't quite catch it because every time something is smashing and something is hitting or something is just like causing chaos under it. And it's just so great because you want it to happen so badly. And that denial is uh, it's it's satisfying in its own way. I love it. It's again, animosity noise. Yes. It's wonderful. We come up to the abuse we do part four. Part four. The abuse we do is about what we do to ourselves and each other to maintain like a facade, a storyline, or myth about ourselves. You might say I was obsessed about the role people play in others' lives and in their own with regard to how we want to be perceived. Like the mythology that we create around ourselves or the personas we make and what they are really there to maintain and why and how they come about. The numerous little white lies to the full on second personalities, both public and private, that we present. I guess I was asking the question, what are you willing to sacrifice to get what you want, whether it was short term or long term? Also, I wanted to consider, do we consider the consequences of those lies and and when we use them? This is the idea behind the series of tracks. And I usually work with samples that brought up the theme or try to convey it through the tone and tempo of the music. The titles are my motivation and the user can tell you if this is more fantasy or if they gain greater meaning from the tracks. This track in particular is part four because I think I did something on uh, the three-way split with Skin Crime and Taint. I also think it was on uh, another release, and I think this is part four because of a Rush song called The Gangster of Boats, which is part four, and there isn't really a part three or a part one or part two. I personally love that he mentions Rush because from conversations I've had with Chris, I know I think I always associate Rush with Chris because mm-hmm. I know uh, what a fan he is. So anytime I hear Rush, I immediately just think of sickness. This one's pushed also these heavy pushing bass frequencies and these ringing loops. And this one carries on from Psychopathia with that just those nauseating tones. Uh, the abuse we this. OK, I might have said I didn't have a favorite, but look, <laughs> Each time. (laughs) (laughs) This one might be my favorite. I'm showing through the screen. I said favorite track. I love this entire piece. What happens at one point is there's, again, the space opens up. Mm -hmm. But it's never, there's always something happening every time that space opens up. Each time it opens up, something new starts bubbling to the surface. And I love this whole section of the track. 
Yeah, it, it really does open up and give you, a, I don't know, it's just a, a nice vibe that carries through the whole piece until, again, we get to the last minute and it's back it's back in the grinder again. And I love that. I love the return to form, especially when considering the piece that comes after it, it ends right. And it sort of sets you up for an expectation of the next piece, which is fracture line CD loop panic. The idea behind fracture line was to create a track that could be looped and listen to much like the material I, I did for Ome. I put in some absurdly heavy bass frequency in behind the loops I had created. It, I think it was about seven hertz, which is something that could never really be played on anyone's stereo, but it was fun to include the warning, I mean, danger, extreme warnings on the package. Uh, I remember talking to Randy Yao when he was doing the artwork and I wanted to include the warning uh, on the package just in case someone damaged their system trying to play the uh, frequencies that really couldn't be reproduced anyway. I guess you you could play the track through a function one and get some fun results. But other than that, this was more of an idea that in a practical application that sound can do physical damage if played loud enough or big enough, et cetera. I did take the loop panic line from the Marisbao release. Bastutai is one of my favorite albums by Marisbao, both the vinyl and CD version, since they're different. I guess I was paying a tribute to an artist I respected at the time. His work, especially on that album, really inspired me at the time. And uh, I loved listening to single loops that were limited in scope and time so that you could listen to it seven, eight, nine times as, as long as you wanted to. I guess that kind of soothed or filled a need in me. It wasn't like, oh, I, I want to listen to this one song again and again. The purpose of Fracture was to take and give you a a quote unquote song you could listen to as long as you wanted to and then turn it off. You know, our stereo is look, it it's good for us. I mean, we had this whole CD cranked. We had this loud. It's not the worst, but, you know, we tried to see if we could get the seven hertz going on this. And while we didn't necessarily get that, what we did do is we both went and stood right in the middle of our, our speakers. With our heads between each speaker. Right. So we went, that was so good. And it really Ugh. did feel, you could feel it through your head, the way this loop and panning We were was being going. surrounded, yeah. like absolutely it surrounded. Really, it really it was, was so cool. cool. Like I, I truly, truly... This might be my favorite track, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Christie at it again. It's but, weird because uh, no. it keeps growing. Like this track is yes. uh, for its four minute length. And there's these bits that come in that aren't tied to the, the base of it. And it gives it more interest. But this is like, as far as an ending, and I'm always, when ending a CD, Ending on the harshest note works for the harshest of stuff, but somehow ending this so nuanced and dark. Yeah. Nuanced and dark and meditative are a really interesting choice after the previous 10 tracks. Yeah. And and even the, the sounds make me think of different types of whining and it's just so any type of whining from an, like an animal whining, a dog whining, a human whining, it's awful. And that 
you get it really captures that just like grating sound and you're surrounded by it and it's moving around and uh, I found it invigorating. Love this track. Love love the abuse we do part four and love coming right into fracture line. And you know, it was really, really cool of Chris and Eric to talk about this CD, give us some background information, and we really appreciate the insight and information that they both gave us. So thank you so much, guys. This Absolutely. Was thank you. A, a, yes! real, a real treat for us to dig into a classic noise album. I mean, this is absolutely a classic CD and one, like I said before, we you know when it came out, it was, it was the sickness you could get. Mm-hmm. And man, you know, it's tw- almost 20 years down the line. It is still just absolutely pummeling. Yep. And I think the, the effect has not worn off in any capacity. I fully, fully agree. Yep. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate getting a chance to talk about this, even if it's not my thing. Uh, I also wanted to thank Charmaine Lee for allowing me to use her studio to record this. Since it's been 20 years since this album is out and I can't find it on Discogs or at a reasonable price anywhere else, I'm going to... Put it up on my Bandcamp, which is sickness.bandcamp.com. Hopefully, when this podcast airs, it will be available. And, of course, that next Friday is the Bandcamp with no fees. So if you wanted to pick it up, I'd greatly appreciate it. Thank you very much for the opportunity and interest in my work. You've been listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. And thank you to our new patrons, Alfonso Carrillo, Shane English, Lee Landy, Jay Weilberg, Chris Taylor, JS, Self Abuse Records, Jesse Matisic, David Reed, Johan Ganesh, Brian W., Steve Rides, Alistair Fife, Mary McDonald, DT, Jeremy Tarr, Seth Tissue, John Dickerson, and James R. Carter. Thank you so much. Yay, sweethearts. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noise extra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.